So I got on social media this week and I asked a question. I asked for people to share with me, you know, some of their favorite places to go. And there seems to be a theme. Uh, Sherry shared, it is so peaceful and quiet, I can feel myself reset when I am there. This is in Eli, Minnesota, Lake Ojibwa. I think I said that right. Minnesota people that I... Nope, I don't think I got that one. Nettie said, I enjoy being at Camp Asabo. That's the, that's the one that I said. I love being at Camp Asabo. Uh, but on the top of my list of favorite places is where I grew up in St. Thomas and St. John. I can never get enough of the beach views there. Gail posted a picture and she said, a quiet spot by the river. Jocelyn said, I grew up in Berrien Springs. I used to race out to Lookout Point and Lakeshore on Friday evenings just to watch the sunset. And as the golden sun kissed the horizon on Lake Michigan, I felt like I was in God's sanctuary. Total peace and joy. People got real poetic in their responses. This is wonderful. Marianne said, uh, Bahia Ahanda State Park in the Florida Keys. Absolutely peaceful. Andy Atkins, my good friend, he said, I love PMC. What a place of rejoicing in the Lord. And to which I replied, Andy, move back from Colorado. Come back to Bering Springs, pretty please. Finally, Wendy said, my favorite place is the beach on the Gulf side of Florida. The sound of the waves and the smell of the fresh air and salt water combined with the endless views of the sea. Instant relaxation. Are you hearing a theme here? Water seems to be associated with a lot of these peace metaphors. Renee said one word, Italy. That is my place of peace and restoration. Here, here, why don't we do this? They're not the only ones that should get to share in this stuff. Why don't we take a minute, share with your neighbor a place that you always look forward to going to and why. All right? Think about it. Share with your neighbor for just a moment. Share it, post it right in there. Our online host will be happy to hear your request. Favorite place that you like to visit? All right, I have a couple people here with two mics. Anybody want to share with us real quick one of your most favorite places that you like to go? Raise your hand and our mic will find you. Don't be shy. Here we go. We got one there in the back. Right in the mic, Hawaii. Hawaii. Yes, let's all go to Hawaii together. What other place came to mind? What other moments and places of relaxation have you identified? Oh, come on. I heard a lot of people sharing. Let's see. Oh, right back there. Dan, you see I'm right back in the... Dan, right over there. Oh, yeah. Virgin Islands. The Virgin Islands. Are you from the Virgin Islands? No, you just know you like it. Okay, good. My daddy grew up there. Your daddy grew up there. That's so sweet. Right over there. Oh, the mic. We've lost the mic. It's made its way all the way across. Swimming pool. 
You love the swimming pool? That's good. That's good. Miami. Miami, yes. Warm places. Uh, it's Chicago for me and also Virginia. Chicago and Virginia. Right here, where do you like to go? Uh, the Grand Canyon. Ooh, how many people have been to the Grand Canyon? Isn't it beautiful? Yes, I could see why it would be so majestic. Let's do one more right over there. My bed. <laughs> oh, let's give that brother a hand. Isn't it? You know what? It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to look forward to a place because of what that place promises us, right? We all have these moments in our life. We all have these, uh, these hallmark places that every time we think about them, we say, yes, that's so right. And we go there and it is. All is well with the world. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you because you are a good, good Father. And you always take care of your children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jeremiah 29, 10, and 11. Some of you know this Bible promise. In fact, you don't even need me to read it to you. But Jeremiah 29, verses 10 and 11 uh, shows us a very interesting moment in Israel's history. You see, God had promised to Israel when he was <laughs> through Moses, he says, listen, be faithful to me, be, be good, do the things that I tell you to do, and you will be the greatest among nations. I will protect you, I will guard you, I will give you everything that you need. No one will go hungry in your midst. Everyone will have plenty of land, all will be well, just be faithful to me. But something happens with the Israelites, and they aren't. They aren't faithful to God. They, they follow a different path and they start following other gods and all of a sudden, all kinds of crazy starts to happen there in Israel. And, Israel's, and God says, you know what? I told you, I, I, I can guard you. I can protect you. Just keep my ways. You don't do that. You invite all kinds of crazy in your life. All kinds of ridiculous and stupid things are gonna happen in your life when you, fall, when you go off course. Israel did that. They went a completely different way, and here comes Babylon and overcomes Israel. But God still does not leave his people alone. He does not. He goes through the prophet Jeremiah, and he gives this promise. Jeremiah 29, verse 10 and 11. He says, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill you to my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare, plans for your well-being and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Israel is sent in exile, and, and, the, and the reason for their exile is very obvious. They have, they have parted ways with the Lord. They have chosen their own path. But God gives them this promise. Listen, in 70 years, you're coming back. I'm bringing you back to this place of peace. That's what Jerusalem means, a city of peace, a city of shalom. A city, my brother's name is Salim. 
It's the Turkish version of Salem, which means peace. He's, he's not the most peaceful person in the world when we were growing up. He's super peaceful now, and he's here in the house somewhere, so of course I have to call him out. Where is he? He's not going to show his hands. All right. He, he hid well. See how disruptive he was to my sermon? <laughs> he says, I'm going to bring you back to the city of peace, where you will have all that you need. You will have hope. You have a future. That's what he says to the exiles. And so that gives the prophetic framework of where our story is today. It's in the book of Nehemiah. 70 years have passed, and already a slew of exiles have come out of Babylon and headed back home, and and the temple has been rebuilt and Nehemiah is sitting there in the king's court and he he's, has a burden that God has put in his heart and he talks to the king about his burden and, and the king says, go, go rebuild and repair the walls of Israel. Go and do that. So he goes off and he starts to rebuild the walls of Israel. And, and what's interesting is that obviously the neighbors aren't excited about this. They're not excited to see the, the walls of Jerusalem refortified. This is not good news for everybody around there because they remember what Israel was like and they remember what it was like when God was with them. So a lot of the story in Nehemiah is precisely about these neighbors causing all kinds of trouble because they did not want to see this wall rebuilt. But there's another element in this story that should make all of us quite sad, actually. And it's found in Nehemiah chapter 5. Nehemiah chapter 5, if you have your phone, scroll there, because we're going to sit in this story for just a little bit. You see, the exiles are coming back, and they, they have an expectation, right? This is, a, this is a city of peace. And they're thinking Jeremiah 29, 11, a place where, where God is going to give us a hope and a future. They're claiming that promise. But in Nehemiah 5, something happens that should surprise and should shock us. Nehemiah 5 verse 1 says this, Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. Hold up. Time out. There's a family conflict right here. It says the, the outcry was for their Jewish brothers. This, this is stuff that's happening inside the house of Israel. And what's really interesting is if you do a word search for the word outcry, you find that it's always, always occurs on the edge of God uh, causing some massive divine intervention. Every time that there is an outcry of the people, God always responds in really dramatic ways. He flips tables when there's an outcry. He can't live with the people crying out like they're crying out. He can't stand to hear his people in pain. And here is the saddest part of this is that there's an outcry in Israel because of how Israel is behaving with each other. It goes on to say, for there were those who said, with our sons and our daughters, we are many. So let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. 
And then there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and in our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers. Our children are as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but it is not in our power to help it. For other men have our fields and our vineyards. There's an outcry in Israel because they're going hungry. They're going hungry in a place that was promised to them to be a place of peace, a place that would give them a future, a place that would give them hope, a place that would take care of all of their needs. And here they are and they're going hungry. Not only they're going hungry, but they're going hungry and going in debt, selling their sons and their daughters just so they can eat. And they're not crying out against the foreigners. They're not crying out against their captors. They're crying out against their brothers. <laughs> Goes on to say, I was very angry when I heard, this is Nehemiah talking, when I heard their outcry and these words, I took counsel with myself and I brought charges against the nobles and officials. I said to them, this is Nehemiah, I, I, this is spiritual leadership. We know from Nehemiah's story that he was very organized. Organizationally, just a top-notch CEO, CEO. He just knew what he was doing. But here's spiritual leadership. He hears the outcry and he stops and he processes and he listens to this pain. He hears and he's just, I can, I can picture him. Just like he went around the city walls, inspecting the walls, trying to figure out where this thing is going wrong. I can hear him crying out to God and saying, God, what, what am I missing? There's a spiritual vacancy right here. There's a spiritual deficit right here. God, what am I missing? Let me, what are we to do? Because your people are crying out. What are we to do? So he, he, he stops. He thinks to himself. He starts to pray. He starts to process. He brings all the leaders together and he says this, you are exacting interest, each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them and said to them, we, as far as we are able, have bought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations, but you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. So severe is the spiritual deficit in this community that, that Nehemiah is talking about this vicious circle. We're working to rebuild this city, to be a place of peace for our own people, and in our working to do that, we end up selling our people who we've just bought back. What are we doing? What are we doing to our brothers? Why are we selling them out just to have to pay the price to bring them back again? Nehemiah is outraged. He sat with the Lord and he realized that the outcry of the brethren was true. Something needed to change. Nehemiah goes on to say, they were silent and could not find a word to say. That's like the best response whenever you're in a boardroom and you've said something really hard and true. Silence. We have to let this sink in sometimes. We have to become aware of the, of the deficits and the harm and the hurt that sometimes we cause in pursuing our own gain and our own interest above the gain and interest of other people. So they sat there. So I said to them, the thing that you are doing is not good. 
you know, people cry out all the time. We scream injustice at every corner. We, we, we cry foul. The system, the system is rigged against me. So I wondered, did, did, did the Jews who were crying out, did they have a case? Was it, was it appropriate within their system for them to be upset and frustrated about the interest that was being charged against them? Because that's what Nehemiah says. I can't believe, this is what he says, I can't believe that you are taxing them on interest. Now, if, 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 we, if we pause for a minute, we can hear Nehemiah calling back, calling back to the law of Moses. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Law of Moses. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 23. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 19 and 20. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 19 and 20. Here's Moses, law of Moses. You shall not charge interest on loans to your brother. Interest on money, interest on food, interest on anything that is lent for interest. You may charge a foreigner interest, but you may not charge your brother interest. That the Lord your God may bless you in all that you undertake in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. The people who were crying out were completely justified in their crying out. Their brethren were charging them interest. And here, Nehemiah realizes this is a huge violation of Moses' law. We're not supposed to do that. And in fact, what, what one brother was telling to another brother in charging them interest is actually, you don't belong as a part of my family. You are not part of my tribe because I'm going to do to you what I would do to a foreigner. I'm going to do to you worse than I would do to an exile. You're not my brother. That is the, lang- the, the language of discharging interest, knowing what Moses' law was. That's what it was communicating to these people. You don't belong here. Wow. Nehemiah pulled back from the, Moses, from the law of Moses. And, and here's the thing. We get, we, get, we get really frustrated with Moses' law. We, we, we charge all kinds of things about God's law, and, and we get all hyperventilated about it. But here's the reality is that a, is that a, is that a complete understanding of God's law, we, we, what we realize, what we recognize is that it's telling us about God's heart. This is God saying, you take care of your brother and sister. You, you take care of them. You need, to, you need to meet their needs. In fact, this is what's even more interesting. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 15. Chapter 15, the sabbatical year. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 7 through this, 7 through 14, it says, If among you one of your brothers should become poor, in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Help your brother out. Don't charge him interest. Help him out. Don't charge him interest. Take care lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart and you say, the seventh year, the year of release is near and your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother and you give him nothing. And he cried to the Lord against you. Because for this And he cried to the Lord against you, and you shall be guilty of sin. You shall give to him freely. 
And your heart should not be grudging when you give to him, because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work. For there will never cease to be poor in their land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. And guess what? On the sabbatical year, you forgive all his debts. You forgive all his debts. This is God saying, this is how we're going to take care of each other. This is, how we're gonna, this is how we do it in my kingdom. This is how my family treats each other. Don't charge interest. And if someone's in need, sure, lend a hand. But lending them a hand doesn't mean you're going to hold this thing over the head for the rest of their life. We're going to do a sabbatical year. We're going to give you a break. You're going you're to take some time to really do this, to do this right. Going back to Nehemiah. It's interesting what he says because he's, <laughs> he really calls him to the mat. The thing that you are doing is not good. The law of Moses says don't charge him interest. The law of Moses says, hey, on the seventh year, give him a break. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Isn't that interesting? Nehemiah, Nehemiah realizes that all the world is watching how this community behaves. This community has made some very big claims about its special place in history and its special place in the eyes of God. And Nehemiah says, hey, if we keep behaving like this, what do you think our neighbors are going to say? If this is the best that we can do with the people in our own midst, what do you think they're going to say about us? What are they going to say about God, the one that we say is the king of the universe, the, the one who, who says that he loves us and takes care of us? If we treat each other like this, what are they going to say? Oh, he really holds it back to them because going back to Jerusalem wasn't just about rebuilding the temple. It wasn't just about rebuilding the walls. But it was about realizing what God had called Israel to do for the world, to be a light in the darkness, to be salt, so that people could know who the true God is. Going back wasn't just about a building project. Going back was about communicating God's heart to all the world. And that's what Nehemiah is reminding them about. This is not just about our kingdom. This is our opportunity to tell the world about God's kingdom. <laughs> Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. <laughs> Nehemiah's spiritual leadership dumbfounds me. Here he is. He, 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 he knows he has done wrong. God has showed it to him. He confesses, I have fallen short. Just like you, I've done the same thing. And guess what? Not only do I need to recognize that I've fallen short, we got to turn this thing around. Return to them this day, their, their, this very day, their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. Then they said, we will restore this and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. I got to tell you, last night I went to the church. Some of you saw the post, pews are here. You know, I never thought I'd get so excited about building materials and contractors and all this stuff. Here I am on Facebook, Instagram, just, the pews are here. <laughs> I got up in the balcony. 
the, the pews on the balcony are all done and I sat just, you know, and this is going to be great because when we go back, the pews are going to be comfortable, but not so comfortable that you're going to fall asleep while the preacher's going at it, right? Yeah. I sat there and I just, you know, the place is a mess. We got stuff laid out everywhere and there's lights and, and I, I just thought, man, God, I can't wait. I can't wait to get back to my church. I, I, this is a great place. Don't get me wrong. But I, I miss kneeling for prayer time. You know, I, I, I never thought I'd say that. I miss kneeling for prayer time and to be able to go back and kneel and to be able to go back and, and to hear that amazing, beautiful pipe organ and, and to hear the resonance of our choirs and our, and our symphonies and our orchestra. That's just going to be beautiful. When students come back, our community will be whole again. I'm looking forward to it. It means a lot. But this is, this is not just a project about a building. Remember, this is renovate heart and house. When we go back, the house is still going to have some stuff that we got to do on it. You know, we'll go back. We'll, we'll be able to see. We'll be able to hear. There's still work under construction. And I suspect that our heart is also going to still be under construction. I, I'm, I'm actually hopeful that we're provoked in the same way that Nehemiah was provoked, right? Where he just had to stop for a moment and take an accounting of his own heart and what God had called him to. I mean, you saw it at the door, right? I think you got one of these, one of these at the door, and if you didn't, make sure you grab one. We're asking you to pray for some people to come back to come. You know, this is, we're not being timid about this. There's some people who haven't been to church in a long time who are curious. They know something's happening in that building and they're curious and we want to make it as easy as possible, give every reason for everybody to be able to come back, especially if they haven't been back in a while. So we gave you this card and we're saying, hey, write down three names. Start praying for these people. You know, last week, Pastor Ben talked about Maybe you don't have a friend to invite. A new friend will come, and I believe that. But, but here's what I know. I've been around for a little bit, just a few years. We have old friends who haven't been back to church in a long, long time. Right? Let's just be honest. We have some people who haven't come, and it's been a long minute since they've come. Here we can put their name down, pray, that God will use their curiosity about this building. Pray that God will use their curiosity about the theme of that series. Pray that, 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 that God will use your curiosity about their well-being to come back and to check it out, to give us a chance. But here's what I'm afraid of. Here's, here's the heart work that I think we got to do. We got to make sure we don't do what the Israelites did. Right? You see, there's, there's some people in exile, and, there, and there's generally two categories. There's some people in exile right now who've, who did terrible things in their lives that really put them in, like, so far from even any desire of being around God or godly things. And the, and the way the consequences of their decisions have played out, they're just. You know, they, they just couldn't stand it to be in here anymore. They couldn't stand to be a part of this community anymore. That's one type of exile. 
Then we have another type of exile that did something and we didn't know what to do with their hurt. We didn't know how to respond to their, to their, to their agony and to their anxiety and to their pain. And they said to themselves, man, I, is this the place for me? Is this the place? Do I belong here? I'm not sure. And, and, and some of what they did was hurtful to us. They disappointed us probably. And we might feel even betrayed by the way that they, they composed themselves. You, you have some people in your life who've hurt you. And, and in some ways, maybe your Sabbath's even better that you don't have to see them now. Right? Let's just be honest. But here's, here's, here's the thing about God's law. It's a sabbatical year. There comes a time, there comes a time when we've got to cancel people's debts. Right? There comes a time when we just, we just got to lay this thing that we've been holding over their heads year after year after year. Because if we don't cancel those debts, they, they may come back, but then they realize something. They realize that we're charging them interest. Because their debt's not canceled, we're saying, you know, you still owe me something. Th- things are not square with us relationally. And I'm just saying to myself, isn't Jerusalem supposed to be a place of peace? Isn't, isn't coming back to a place of peace, isn't, shouldn't the expectation be that if you're coming back, that you would expect that you would have a hope and a future? That that, that community and that that experience would, would be interested in your best welfare and taking care of you. Isn't that what we ought to do? I, I don't want them to do like what happened to me at the beach where I'm just so excited. I'm here. I'm in Florida. Here's the sun. Here's the sand. And I get on the sand and ouch, it's hot. And I thought the blistering was for somewhere else, not here. Folks, we got we to gotta really, we got to do like Nehemiah did. Just be spiritual leaders. Just take a pause and say, God, maybe there's a work inside of me that you need to do. A, this person may not be my old friend, but you never left them. And this is the best place for them. So God, please, for that person or persons, help me. Give me the grace to give them a sabbatical year. Let's cancel the debts now. Let's stop taxing people with interest for the pain that we think they've given us. Let's, let's be a place of peace that offers people a future and a hope. Because that's how we do in God's family. Holy God, all we can ask, all we can ask is that we become overwhelmed by your abundant love and grace to know that we are loved fully by you. Not in our perfect condition, but that we are loved fully by you just as we are. And out of the abundance of that grace, Father, May we have 
the capacity, may we have the courage to extend the same grace to those exiles who are thinking about coming home. Help us to receive your love well so that we can share your love exponentially with others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.